This morning we're going to um, look at a very interesting text of Scripture and um, consider together what it means to strategically share the gospel. Um, We would all readily admit and, and agree with the fact that the content of the gospel is of primary importance. The truth of the gospel. We we must know the message in order to communicate it to others. A summary um, uh, that we can see that's found actually later on in the book of 1 Corinthians is when Paul writes, um, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures is about as compact of, of a gospel statement as we can make uh, that contains the, the elements of the true gospel message. And, and so knowing that is vital. It, it is vitally important. However, it's also true that the way in which we deliver this truth to other people who are lost is also of great Importance. So our demeanor, our, our attitude, our vocabulary, right, our word choice, um, the timing of, of when to share, knowing when to say what, um, all of those things are important as well. And uh, take great wisdom and discernment to know how to work through that. Um, and so I'll, I'll share with you just a brief um, Illustration this morning to, to show you this and in time when I kind of uh, I messed this up. So um, we were in Mongolia and Stacy and I were, were talking to one of the uh, Mongolian students that we had, had made a relationship with there. And she was um, asking a lot of good questions. So we were really excited. Um, she was asking questions about prayer, about Jesus, about the church, all, all these Things and, and being able to talk to her about that. And um, I don't remember the exact way that it, it came up, but when we were talking, and I was trying to, to tell her how, how important it is to have this overview of Scripture, this big picture view of, of the story of the Bible, and you know, this broad understanding of, of from Genesis to Revelation. And, and the, the pivotal moments of, of creation, fall, redemption, and, and restoration, and kind of how it all fits together. And knowing that it's, it's one big story of what God is doing to save a people for himself. And, and I'm trying to explain that to her. And, and I remember, I'll never forget, after she looked at me with the most confused look on her face. And she said, big picture. You mean like Jesus sitting at the table? So, and, and I used the phrase big picture. Her mind went to the painting of the Last Supper. Why? Because she's speaking to us in English. She, she's still learning, right? So the, the idioms, the figures of speech, um, she, she doesn't know that. So she was doing the best she could to, to try to make it make sense in her mind. Um, and so it's just a small example of the importance of not only sharing the truth, but also being careful with how we share it. And 
wanting to share in a way that is best received and is best understood by those that we are sharing it with. And so one of the, the primary places that we see examples of strategizing and figuring out the best way to, to go about sharing the truth of the gospel with others is the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And, and he speaks uh, to this strategy when he writes here to the Corinthians. So please look with me here in, in 1 Corinthians 9 and, and follow along as I read. We see in, in verse 19 it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not myself being, un, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And so this morning, as we look at this text, we're going to see th three truths um, that we can take away from this passage. Um, three truths that we must know if we're going to share the gospel well. And so first, we're going to see that if, if we're going to share the gospel strategically with those around us, then we must know ourselves, or we must know um, what we are to be and how we are to be. And we see this in verse 19, where Paul says that he's free from all, yet he says, I made myself a servant or a bondservant or a slave to all. So Paul says, I'm free from all people, yet I've made myself a slave to all people. It's quite a contrast, and it's quite a paradox that we read in that verse. I mean, when we think about it, he was free in the literal sense, right? He was a freeborn man. He wasn't a slave. He was free financially from others. He makes a... a, a he, really goes to great lengths to make that point in chapter 9, um, that he supported himself with his own hands, so he, didn't, uh, he was not relying on, on others. Um, he was free in Christ for, from the curse of the law, being saved by grace through faith in God the Son. And yet at the exact same time that he's free in all his ways, he's also a servant, or he's also a slave. Um, the same word that Paul used in Romans 6 when he, he wrote that because we as believers are saved, we've been set free from sin, we've become slaves of righteousness. And that, that now we've been set free from sin, we've become slaves of God. Same wording that's used here. So believers are, are, we're slaves to God, we're slaves to righteousness, to do that which is right. We're here in verse 19, we're slaves to all people. We're to be servants of all. Paul expressed being a, a slave to all people this way in, in um, 
in Romans chapter 1. He said, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I'm under obligation. Verse 16 of our chapter this morning of of chapter 9. He says, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me, or, or may I be accursed if I do not preach the gospel. So the slavery and, and the service that Paul had placed himself into um, was in order to, to serve these people, to be able to, uh, to speak to them, to, to be able to preach to them, to be able to, to teach them the things of Christ and of the gospel and of the scriptures. He says it's an obligation for him to do so. And we know that if we are believers, if we've been born again, if we're saved, we're the exact same. We're free in Christ from the curse of the law, yet we are slaves to God. We're slaves to righteousness. We're servants or slaves to all people. We must take this truth of the gospel to those who have not heard and who do not know. And as we understand ourselves in this light, as we we see ourselves in this light, it it gives us a new perspective on ourselves. It takes away any and all forms of pride. You know, to, to think here of where Paul is, is coming from when he makes this statement. It, as he says in, in Philippians, he was, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Well-educated. As a Pharisee, he would have been held in, in one of the highest religious places in, in the culture and society around him. And yet, in coming to Christ, he rejected those privileges and, and, and that form of status and made himself a servant and a slave to all people. And the truth of the gospel in our hearts should lead us to view ourselves in that exact same way as we consider ourselves lower than all others as we seek to take the gospel to them. So when we're, we're tempted to think of ourselves as superior in some way because um, of the place we have in society or because of our educational background or um, a position we hold at work or anything like that. We, we don't want to, many times we don't want to approach others that we feel are lower than ourselves, that sometimes in some way shamed or, or, or shunned by society and, and our culture. We've got to remember that though we're free in Christ, we are servants. Servants to Christ and servants to all people to take them the message of Christ. First thing, we have to know ourselves. Secondly, if we're going to be strategic with the way that we share the gospel, we must know those with whom we are sharing. And, And we see this in verses 20 through 22. In these verses, um, Paul lists out four groups. Um, 
He lists out the Jews. It's those under the law, those outside of the law, and the weak. And so for each one of these, we see that Paul knew their particular customs. He knew their particular ways of life. And, and so this information was vital in how he went about sharing the truth of Jesus with them. Um, by, by knowing these groups of people, he's able to, to understand what kind of behaviors or, or what kind of actions he could take or not take uh, to avoid offending each one of these groups, to, to not cause an, an unnecessary hindrance to that group of people for understanding the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done to save sinners. It says, to the Jews he became as a Jew. Now this is kind of confusing because there's, there's multiple ways to, to be Jewish, right? There, there's Jewish ethnicity and then there's the Jewish religion. So though Paul was, he, he would always be a Jew ethnically, he was no longer of the Jewish faith. For, for Paul to, to become as a Jew here, it very likely meant that um, adhering to the ceremonial customs of the Jewish people, right? So the um, laws regarding cleanliness, um, ceremonial watchings, dietary restrictions, what, what he would and would not eat when he was around the Jewish people. And, and so he adopted these customs um, when he was living with them and, and sharing with them. Um, there, there is a bit of discussion on this second group. Uh, we would usually consider the Jews to be also the ones who are under the law. And so the, the question is, why does Paul here separate it out? Um, some say it's just a way of, of emphasizing uh, going to the Jewish people, that he repeats it again in a different way. Um, some people would say that this refers to ethnic Gentiles who had converted to the Jewish faith. Um, but, but either way here, the point is that for both of these groups, Paul uh, adapted the way that he interacted with them for the sake of the gospel. We, we find an example of this in Acts chapter 16. Um, there it says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at, at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So, it, not a not a moral issue here, right? It's not a sin to, to be circumcised or uncircumcised. However, it, it would affect the witness that Paul had before these Jewish people. So therefore, to, to not cause any kind of unnecessary conflict or, or confusion, he decides here to circumcise Timothy. So to the Jews, he became as a Jew. To those under the law, he became as one under the law. Paul also says that he became as one Outside the law, meaning Gentiles, those who uh, did not have the law given to them. And, and the way this um, verse is, um, he's not outside of God's law, um, but instead he's under Christ's law. And um, I think the way the, the New Testament Greek to English dictionary really 
helps us understand here, the authors there give us a a paraphrase of what Paul is saying. So they write that, that Paul, in essence, he's saying this, identified as one outside Mosaic jurisdiction with those outside it. Not, of course, being outside of God's jurisdiction, but inside of Christ. Again, meaning that he did not keep the, the, the ceremonial aspect of the Mosaic law, dietary restrictions, ritual washings, uh, other things related to that. However, he was still bound by the moral law of God, chiefly to, to love the Lord uh, God with all of its heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor as himself. Still under that law, but not this other law. Um, we see an example of this where Paul, in Acts 17, he goes and he addresses the Areopagus, and, and in speaking to them, in witnessing to them, he, he quotes some secular writings that they would have been familiar with. And he does it in order to support what he's saying. Um, we see another example of this, of, of Paul uh, being as one out, outside the law to those who are outside of the law, um, in Galatians chapter 2. Now, this is fascinating. Um, remember, we said earlier that, that Paul had, had Timothy circumcised because of the the work that he was doing among the Jews. However, in Galatians 2, Paul did not have Titus circumcised. Why? So that the gospel might be preserved for the Galatians. So while, while not circumcising Timothy would have caused issues with the gospel going forth, circumcising Titus would have caused problems with the gospel going forth. Therefore, he was not. So two uh, different situations here, two uh, different groups of people seeking to be reached, two different courses of action. It is very interesting to see how this was done. We also see a fourth group of people mentioned in this text this morning in verse 22. There Paul writes that to the weak, he became weak. Uh, Most likely these were, were new believers those who were immature in their faith. And in order to not, do, not cause any undue, uh, again, confusion, Paul would accommodate himself to them when he was with them. So um, this was subject of, of the previous chapter here in, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 8. Paul addressed the eating of meat offered to idols. Right? But believers were free to do so, so but, but they should be willing to, to give up that freedom and not do it if it caused a problem for a less mature believer. Uh, we see another example of this in Acts 21. Um, there we read about a group of Jewish people who had been born again. They, they had been saved. Um, they believed the truth of the gospel. But because they were new believers, um, they, they immature in their faith, they still held to these, these Jewish ceremonial custom and, and law. And so, therefore, Paul, again, doesn't exercise his freedom from these laws, but uh, subjects himself to them. It says um, that he took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So was Paul bound by this ceremonial purification? No. 
but he did it out of service to his weaker or less mature Jewish brothers in Christ. That it, that it wouldn't be a hindrance to them. It, again, by knowing the people to whom he was going to share the gospel, Paul was able to accommodate or, or able to adapt himself to, do, to these different cultural groups and the situations in which he found himself. And so we think through this, how does this apply to us today? I think the most probably immediate thought that many of us would have would be cross-cultural missions, right? Going to other countries, to other cultures, um, moving there, um, trying to engage these people with the gospel, that learn the local language, we, you know, eat the, the food the local people eat and, and participate in, in uh, traditional events of the people and maybe, you know, dress the way they dress. And just this idea of, of adapting to the people we're trying to reach. But what about those of us who are not on the mission field? How, how do we adapt ourselves to those who are, are different than us in order to share the truth with them? One thing I did think about, there, there are many chances to actually participate in cross-cultural missions here in the States. Um, with, as our society becomes more mobile, it becomes more diverse, nations are coming to us. Um, and so it gives us an opportunity to practice the very thing that we, we read about, we see here, Paul mentioning this morning. Um, we can... Uh, do that with, you know, with friends at school, with, with coworkers, with neighbors that may have a different cultural background, a way to, to share with them. Um, or maybe, you know, perhaps you have a, a, a non-believing friend that, that has a hobby or, or an interest, and, and you're, not, you're not naturally per- personally interested in it, but, but you decide to learn about it. You decide to try it in, in order to have a chance to, to spend time with them, to, to, to deepen that relationship, to give greater opportunity to share the truth with them. You're, there's a lot of different ways we can seek to uh, apply what Paul is, is talking about here. Um, and you know, while we can't mention every, every scenario of everybody's life this morning, I, I would encourage you to, to think through these things. Pray that the Lord would reveal to you ways that, that you can apply this in your own life. Talk about it with, with family and friends. Um, share ideas with one another. Seek to grow in this area of giving up personal liberty for the sake of the gospel and for those that are lost. Um, also, as I thought through this, I I think it's important to also understand this, this passage correctly and to use a lot of caution when trying to make application from it to our lives. I don't think that we should be quick from this passage to, to, to take this idea that, that Paul was some sort of pragmatic chameleon or, or something that, that uh, changed who he was and, and what he did you know, just to get the job done. I think there are dangers understanding it that way. Um, what we read in, in these verses, it doesn't mean that um, Paul was in some way inauthentic or, or that he was masquerading as something he wasn't or, 
or that he would use any gimmick or, or any ruse that was necessary in order to get the job done. Um, I don't think that's how we should understand this. After all, we, we do read here of the adaptation. We read of the accommodation that, that Paul's making to different groups. But we also read um, in, in 2 Corinthians here, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And so I, I think there's one main principle here that, that will help us. Help us avoid this, this pitfall of this unmitigated pragmatism type thing in, in sharing the gospel. And that is this, that the accommodation of Paul to these different groups was not so much about his cleverness or his creativity in what he was doing, but rather in his willingness to give up his personal freedoms. This is it's not something where he had a, a bright idea and, and executed a, a plan and all of these people made a profession of faith. And this is about sacrifice. This is Paul so loving those that, who were lost, and, and he was so desiring them to be saved that, that he would deny his non-sinful wants, his non-sinful desires. In other words, his freedoms, he denies them in order to put someone else before himself that they might be saved. As a matter of fact, one of the commentaries, it made the point that part of Paul's becoming a Jew for the sake of the Jews meant receiving the penalty of the Jews. Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians 11. What in the world is going on? All right. Um, 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. It said that among the Jewish community of that day, one must submit to Jewish discipline to maintain Jewish connections, which is what Paul did, that he might win some. He went even further in Romans chapter 9, verse 3. He says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul says he would even be cut off from Christ if it meant salvation among the Jews. This is the essence of Paul's heart for those who are lost. Willing to lose everything if it meant that others might gain Christ. It's a tremendous statement. It's self-denial, limitation of freedom, limitation of liberty in order to strategically take the gospel to others. We see an incredible example here of that. And so we, we've seen this morning already that in order to strategically take this gospel to, to those who do not know, we must know ourselves as, as servants and, and slaves of all men. We must know those whom we're going to share with. We must be able to, to adapt and accommodate to them. And lastly this morning, we must know the goal. What is it that we're getting at when we, we undertake this strategy to go and to share the gospel? And as you see in our text this morning, Paul makes that abundantly clear. 
As a matter of fact, he uses eight statements of purpose. Eight statements of purpose in these five verses. And we see the repetition of this phrase, that I may win, over and over. It's a business term. It literally means to acquire by effort or investment. To acquire by effort or investment. So Paul continually made investment in the people that he served. There was great struggle. There was toil. There there was work that was put into winning the Jews and was put into winning those under the law and outside the law in the weak. And we see that in verse 22, winning them is equivalent to the salvation of their souls. There in verse 22, Paul writes, He has become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So all of the the self-denial, all of the accommodation, all of the adaptation of of, of the presentation of, of the gospel message, all of it for one reason, and one reason only, that I might save some. Now here we know Paul is, is speaking, he's kind of speaking loosely here, right? We know Paul does not believe he's the one who saves. Uh, but rather it's God that saves sinners, but God does use human beings to take the truth of the gospel and share it with those who are lost. And, and um, you know, reading through Paul's other epistles, uh, that's clear, and it's clear that this is a, a common theme all the way through, that, that, that Paul might proclaim the truth of the gospel, and those that hear might be saved. Uh, it's pretty much a singular drive, the single focus, great concern of his heart and his mind as he worked among the people. Um, I read a sermon by Charles Spurgeon this week, and on verse 22, here, and here's what he had to say about this focus of Paul to win those he encountered to Christ. Tell you what, man, you put it in the cloud. Good, isn't it? We'll never have to worry about it. All right. Um, to win those he encountered to Christ. And, and here's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, lives with many aims are like water trickling through innumerable streams, none of which is wide enough or deep enough to float the merest cockle shell of a boat, be like a, a canoe or a kayak. But a life with one object is like a mighty river flowing between its banks, bearing to the ocean a multitude of ships and spreading fertility on either side. Give me a man not only with a great object in his soul, but thoroughly possessed by it. His powers all concentrated and himself on fire with vehement zeal for his supreme object. And you have put before me one of the greatest sources of power which the world can produce. This is a supreme laser focus on one thing, the salvation of men's souls. And when we look at this this morning and we read this and we think through it, we're, we're forced here to confront 
the reality. That if we, we really believe Scripture and, and the Gospel and the truths that, that Jesus taught, the, the, the truths contained and recorded for us in all of Scripture, that for one to die without being one to Christ means an eternity in hell. It's described as a place of eternal torment and suffering. A place of fire, a place of outer darkness. A place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place where the, the worm does not die because the host whose rotting flesh the worm is feeding on does not die. A place where the, the rich man called out and desired for Lazarus to just go and dip the end of his finger in water and cool his tongue because he was in anguish in the flame. It's real. That's as real as it gets. So then should we not be intentional? Should we not be strategic? Should it not be the central focus of our lives to go and take the truth of Christ to those that are lost? Going with all humility because we know ourselves. Learning and knowing all we can about those that we're taking the truth to. And being willing to give up our personal freedoms as long as it does not cause us to sin in order to more effectively share the truth with them. And as we share this truth, to have this one singular goal in mind, the salvation of souls. One more quote from Spurgeon as we close. He said this, as the fisherman longs to take his fish in his net, as the hunter pants to bear home his spoil, as the mother pines to clasp her lost child to her bosom, so do we faint for the salvation of souls, and we must have them or we are ready to die. Save them, O Lord. Save them for Christ's sake. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this example that we've seen this morning of, of being able to go to those who are lost, to, um, Father, to think through the, the, the best way it would be received to, to those of, of other cultures or other contexts. And, um, Lord, those who are different than we are. And I, I pray, Father, you would give us wisdom Lord, you would give us discernment as we seek to go and to share and, and know the best way, Father, that, that those that, who hear might repent and believe, Father, and be saved. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Great message this morning that focused on our responsibility. We've been studying, of course, in First Peter about submission. And one of the beauties of the opportunity we have as believers is to submit ourselves to uh, not only the, the leadership of the Spirit of God, but also to submit ourselves in understanding that the folks that we are witnessing to uh, are made in the image of God and that we are responsible for sharing our faith with them. Uh, 
I, he used the phrase talking about uh, a chameleon, a pragmatic chameleon. That's not what uh, the Lord's called us to. He's called us to be faithful to the Lord Jesus, faithful to the Word, but he's also called us to understand that there are different people from different cultures. We have some here this morning, no doubt, different backgrounds, different states. And so this morning we're going to sing a, a closing hymn, and we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Perhaps you're here today, and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Uh, his desire is to save you, to deliver you from the wrath that is to come. The entire Bible from Genesis through Revelation is reminding us of that, that there is coming a day, a payday someday. And if we know Jesus Christ, that's been paid for. If we don't, then we're responsible to stand before God and explain how and why he should let us into his heaven. And without Jesus, the scripture is clear, he's not. And so this morning, if you're here and you do not know the Lord as your Savior, our prayer is that as we sing, you can make your way out of the pew and we can take you to a private prayer room and we can lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or at the close of the message, if you want to talk with Vance or I or some of the other ladies and gentlemen here in our congregation, we would be more than willing to talk with you further so that you understand the responsibility you have as a lost sinner to repent of those sins and accept Jesus. As a believer, perhaps the Lord is leading you into the fellowship of this church. You know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, but perhaps you need to follow him in believer's baptism. We encourage you to do that this morning. Unite with us by statement of faith, transfer of letter, whatever the Lord may lay, lay on your heart. And then this message this morning and the one that we're going to pick up again in next Sunday on, uh, on a ready faith, this is what God requires of us to share our faith in a culture that doesn't like that, never has liked it, never will like it. But that's the way that the gospel changes people's lives. What number, Miss Shannon, are we going to sing? 